Hey, Paula. Hey, Matze. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Do you remember we had this Hacker Cultures panel? At the conference, at the 4S East conference in Prague, but everything was put online because of the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, the virus is really bugging everyone out. I know. So why don't we take this frown and put it upside down and make it into a smile that's called a podcast (laughs) series instead of panel conference papers. Great. Everyone will love it. It's a good idea. Exactly. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. This is Hacker Culture's The Conference Podcast. This year, COVID-19 turned most conferences virtual. So to combat Zoom fatigue, we decided to try another format and turn a conference session into a podcast. This series comes to you from the 2020 Joint 4S East Conference. I'm Paula Bielski, and along with my co-host, Mase Oyala, we're talking with all sorts of researchers who study what it is to be a hacker and what hacking, programming, tinkering, and working with computers is all about. In this session, we welcome Alex Dean Sibolsky, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. Right now, he's writing a dissertation on capture the flag competitions, play and games in hacker culture, and the information security industry. Alex's session is called Hacker Culture is Everything You Don't Get Paid For in the Information Security Industry. And in this session, he'll talk about the field he is studying, specifically Capture the Flag. It is a competitive game in which players mimic the experience of discovering and exploiting vulnerabilities in information systems, hacking into simulated software and or networks to retrieve data known as a flag. CTF participants, often drawn from the information security and IT industries, utilize these games as a means of training to develop or apply offensive security knowledge in a legal way so that they can better defend the software systems they're entrusted with. Now, this presentation will discuss these preliminary findings of his research, which is ethnographic, semi-structured interviews with a team of players at an on-site CTF who also share the same workplace. So let's go to Alex's talk. But first, I want to introduce you. Alex Dean Zabulski is coming to us from the University of Toronto, and he's going to talk about hacker culture as everything you don't get paid for in the information security industry. Um, yeah, tell us maybe what's the starting point of your research so because kind of i'm looking at the title of your paper you proposed for this track was hacker culture is everything you don't get paid for in the information security industry and i think most people think of security hackers as being incompatible but it sounds like you are suggesting their uh professional relationship right there's something to it yeah for sure um thank you for reading that handful of a title over and over again um it's perfect because i'm just bad (laughs) title writer it's a good title um no good title title So uh, Jessica Johnston has this really interesting case study of people who worked in the antivirus software industry, and her fieldwork is collected from the late 1990s into the early 2000s. And it makes for a really interesting time capsule of like thoughts and attitudes that people who worked in the security industry had at the time about hackers. And in this account, a majority of the people who were interviewed didn't self-identify as a hacker, um, and they mostly thought of hackers as either dumb kids or criminals. Um, But when you go to like a hacker conference now in 2019, or you log into one of the 2020 hacker conference chat rooms that we have now, 90% of the people 
are it work, are, that are in the room work in information security directly or in security facing roles in IT or programming. And so these hackers are in charge of security now. Mm. And so something has changed in the way hackers are understood professionally. Mm. Um, and I think like maybe the tendency to perceive hackers as criminals and as sort of people who flaunt the rules and security of um, software and networks really comes out of the 1970s and like 1980s um, when young people are first getting their home computers and they sort of create entirely different modes of knowing and making technology that are very distinct from the computing industry at the time. So a lot of these young people in trying to understand the rules and structures of computer technologies um, become aware of their limitations and they find flaws in their design. Now we call those flaws, you know, security vulnerabilities. And this hacker mode of production is really, really marginalized by the computing industry because they're really slow to respond to this problem or worse off, you know, they try and ignore the problem. So they just pretend like, oh, this huge security flaw doesn't exist. And it would, after all, like that, thinking about it that way would involve a huge trade-off. Instead of focusing on new functionality, companies would have to invest in fixing existing software. So they wouldn't build, be building new products, they'd just be fixing old ones. And so basically this leads to a lot of tension between like a sort of a nascent hacker underground, this early security community and the industry at this time. And around this time, too, governments and corporations, particularly banks, start to wise up on the fact that the companies making the technologies they use for computing aren't taking the idea of security very seriously. And this really comes to a head in the late 1990s when hackers and hacker groups start disclosing the vulnerabilities that they're finding online in order to shame companies into fixing the flaws. And in turn, these companies allege that these hackers um, are making their products less secure or they're enabling computer crime. And so there's this really famous hacker um, organization called Loft Heavy Industries. Yeah. And basically what happened was they were very responsible for, they were known for sort of having a good responsible approach to disclosing some of these flaws. And they were invited by the U.S. Congress to basically speak before them on the national security threat posed by insecure software. And one of the members of Loft was actually the first hacker to brief a sitting president on information security matters. And so basically what we see at the time is like governments and the clients of the technology industry are beginning to come to the realization that the hacker way of thinking about technology is legitimate. And so dialectically, we've seen a huge shift in the last 20 years regarding the legitimacy of hacker knowledge and practice, especially as it pertains to security, um, as it becomes increasingly professionalized. And now really like a lot of hackers are the security establishment in that industry rather than its outsiders. Okay, I get it. I mean, I, I just totally, I'm with you on that. And I've come across like even in my corporate like research, some people who work in security that used to work uh, for governments or used to be then also black hat hackers or, and then they're like, yeah, now I just work like for the man in like this company. And it's, I find this like, yeah, I'm totally with you on this uh, funny history. Yeah. Yeah, but you're talking something about this, uh, like kind of the games that they're playing, or what's the kind of what's the setup there? And then uh, I don't know. I've studied some game studies in like at the university, so I have some idea what what games are, and we can argue about over like ludic and mm. uh, you know other kind of definitions. But like, what 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 does it look like? What like what's going on? What 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 do these game? Or, you know, what what does it look like? Right on. So I study like these hacker games that are called capture the flag competitions or CTF and capture the flag is a game 
which simulates what it's like to infiltrate a computer network or hack software, like literally to break the security on a network or on the software itself. And these games have been popular in the hacking community for about 24 years now. And they are generally, uh, and they're generally speaking like two genres. But the thing that also makes that really interesting is because the, this game has been going on for 24 years, it's been much more stable than sort of hype cycles around gamification that you often see sort of in academic circles where we want to gamify education. So the first genre of CTF is called a Jeopardy style CTF. And this is where hackers pick hacking challenges from a scoreboard and they attempt to solve them in any order that it, they like. It's not exactly like the game show Jeopardy because not all of the hackers have to play the same challenge at the same time. Like you all have to answer the same question in Jeopardy. It's more like a quiz. And in these competitions, the hacking challenges have a lot of different types um, based on different considerations of security. So the main three pillars of security are usually considered confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And confidentiality is usually the secret side. Integrity is like the making sure this does what it's supposed to do side and availability is making sure we can get to it. So a really good example of one of these challenges would be um, a player would be sent to a website and the website would be running a database, like database software. And that database would have a security flaw and the player would have to discover what that flaw is and then use that flaw to trick the database into giving them data that they shouldn't be authorized to access. This is usually called like an SQL injection is the example here. And like, if you think back to like the mid 2000s, the mid 2010s, when you saw those data breaches, they were usually the result of like an SQL injection. I just mm -hmm. want to inter inter uh, like a SQL interject here that <laughs> this definitely does not work on the current 4SN East uh, conference website. Just saying, don't try, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's secure. Yeah, sorry, move on. All right. Any any security advice given by Masse here is not on my part. Exactly, it's his own exactly. security research. No, but go, keep, go sorry, on, keep sorry, we go on, go on, Alex. You were going to say no worries, no worries. So uh, another challenge that you know that a hacker might do in this competition would be to um, they might be sent like the executable part of a program. So that's a program part of the program that you run when you're turning on Microsoft Word or Internet Explorer or what have you. Um, and this program will have a security flaw and the player will have to use specialized software to basically reverse engineer the program, looking at a representation of its code to basically figure out where that flaw is. And then the player will have to send the program data or alter the structure of the program in some way to trick it into giving up this piece of data known as a flag. So that's how you score points in this game is that you, um, you either discover or you force software in some way to give you this data known as a flag. And then what happens is you submit the flag to the scoreboard that you're um, using for points. And so that's sort of, you know, what the, the structure of that sort of Jeopardy style um, competition looks like. The other type of CTF is a little bit more gladiatorial. It's literally called attack and defense. And in an attack and defense style CTF, um, in these games, players are given systems, like entire systems. So like multiple computers or multiple services and a firewall and they're on a network. And they have to defend all of it, and they also have to attack their opponent's systems at the same time. And so all of these networks and computers have flaws in them that can be exploited to steal data. And so players have to diagnose what is wrong with their own system, and then they use this knowledge for two reasons. They use it first to attack the flaws in their opponent's systems, which mirror theirs, or they use that and or, not just or, they use that data to patch their own systems to better defend themselves by fixing those problems. And so teams attempt to steal flags from their opponents while denying anyone else the ability to steal their flags. And the most prestigious def, uh, CTF competition, the DEFCON CTF, 
is an attack and defense style game. And so CTF competitions tend to go for about two to three days. Like you, sometimes they go for 24 hours for three days, so it's 72 hours. They can be very intense like that. Um, and the winner is usually the team who has the most points from capturing the most flags. And in the logic of the competition amongst hackers, that proves that you're the best hacker, right? And so like um, Gabriela Coleman and Alex Golub have famously sort of mm. talked about the very meritocratic culture of hacker culture. And, you know, when you think about that structure in a game, a game is almost a perfect distillation of that meritocratic belief because there are winners and there are losers. And so in a lot of senses, is like very gladiatorial sort of hacker combat in a certain sense. Yeah, I totally, I was living with someone in San Francisco who uh, he was totally into the capture of the flag. And it was like a holy time for these three days that like, don't like knock on his door, basically. I mean, I and I also have this like leading question, I guess, what do hackers get out of playing in these competitions? I mean, I could imagine what this roommate of mine had, was into, but like, why? Why? What do they get fun? out of it? Exactly. It seems fun, but what else? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, like, yeah, they're incredibly rigorous. So, like, during these games, players are using software created by hackers or they're writing their own programs to analyze and attack these challenges. So, in addition to that, most of the competitions I attended, hilariously, players were just Googling the hell out of everything. Like, you would be surprised how much highly skilled hackers need to Google, like, basic Linux commands or they need to crack open a PDF manual of like software that they use every day because they can't remember how to do like a basic thing and they always have to Google it. Um, and in my field in game studies, we call this kind of behavior laborious play because these competitions are such knowledge driven activities that many players are doing what they're doing looks a lot like the work they do in information security. But kind of going against the meritocratic quality of this, one of the really interesting things that I found when I was interviewing a lot of my participants, I interviewed 60 competition designers and players um, at three different sites. And only maybe a half dozen of these people were that interested in winning. They felt like a really proprietary urge to win um, when I observed them playing or even talked to them about it afterwards. And for the most part, a lot of players like the more social aspect of hacking together um, and actually a group of my participants worked at the exact same Canadian tech company and were sent there by their employer to hack together. So it was this really interesting sort of um, and really unusual opportunity. Like I just, I randomly um, just approached these participants. They agreed to do this. And then I studied that. And one of the interesting things about that experience was, is that they explained to me how CTF influenced their careers so two of the professionals who I met who were purely security professionals, they actually use CTF in their workplace to train developers to not code security flaws into their software, and they would have them compete. And then the greatest part about this was I also interviewed people, a, a developer who had actually built up a reputation in the company for solving a lot of the company's CTF challenges, and he'd been invited to come out with the big league security team and compete with them at the CTF. And so in our interview, he talked a lot about how CTF had given meaning to his career and helped him develop a positive relationship. And then one of the last people I interviewed, uh, he, this large Canadian tech firm is very geographically distributed. Canada is a very geographically distributed company or country. And so as part of that, he said that, you know, one of the things that was really important for him was in doing all the security work in a game, he got to see what his teammates were sort of competent at doing. And that was really important to him because he had to have, be able to trust that they were going to be able to execute the things that he needed them to do remotely if he wasn't face-to-face -face with them. So this helped him really build a rapport 
and an understanding. And so what became clear out of this to me was that capture the flag competitions aren't just games which sorted out the sort of the pecking order of hackers or provided educational experiences, but they were systems of meaning making for participants in the industry. And this is very reminiscent of what, you know, Fred Turner called the cultural infrastructure of high-tech industries or what Lily Arani's idea of entrepreneurial citizenship and that these hackers are using their free time to navigate their careers and improve their status in the workplace. And I thought that was really mm. sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah, we have a couple of more minutes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, um, yeah. Sure. So yeah, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that a lot of these hackers have a different focus from hackers who work in open source software. Can you tell us, Alex, is there an overlap between their behavior and politics or are they completely different? Does this game somehow fit into that? Yeah, at first, I didn't really think there was a lot of overlap between people who worked in security and people who were creating open source software and both get called hackers. So there's real you know, confusion there in terms of the ontology of who is and who isn't a hacker. And so, you know, when I go to these CTFs, people would be running Macs, they would be running Windows, they wouldn't be using Linux as their primary operating system. Um, and some people have, you know, strong opinions about that. But there were what I would call like a cultural economy of openness that is very similar with other hacker cultures. So first off, security knowledge and tradecraft, um, the knowledge you need to hack or secure a system is incredibly open. And that predilection that I talked about earlier for hackers publicly disclosing vulnerabilities has historically gotten them, gotten them into trouble. It is also like a very radical mode of transparency. So in two bits, Chris Kelty says something to the effect of hackers not only argue about technology, they also argue through it. Mm. A hacker will not only tell you that your program is broken, but they will write a program to break it for you just to prove that they know more about it than you do. And especially in the security industry. And so that disclosure has also really enabled CTF play because as the hackers who design and capture, uh, design capture the flag challenges um, they use this kind of constant contemporaneous discourse around disclosure to design new challenges. Um, a majority of the designers I talked to actually derived uh, the challenges they designed for people to compete on from vulnerabilities they found in their work. And so CTF play has this really discursive pattern in the security industry. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of overlap. And mm. I like this kind of how these games kind of come and go. Mm. in this story i like it yeah thank you so much alex i think we have to wrap up because you're perfectly on time and we have a lot of comments and questions and uh i think there's a lot of uh, people in the chat were talking about this kind of synergies that they see and they've also um commented i think a lot of us throughout our field and all the anthropologists and sociologists in the room who've done ethnography have come across people who've done capture the fag, but we've always been like, this would be really cool to research, but I'm doing something else now. And this is like, great. Someone else should do this. And it's great that Alex, you're looking into this. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, let's give Alex a round of applause. Yes. Thank you. And we'll come back to questions at the end. Thank yeah, you. Cool. This podcast series was hosted by Paula Bielski and Matze Oyala. It was produced by Heights Beats and Hot Milk Productions with funding from St. Gallen University. Thank you to all the panelists and audience members of the Hacker Cultures panel at the 4S and East 2020 conference on the theme of locating and timing matters, significance and agency of science and technology studies in emerging worlds.